Well, we can go ahead and get started. Uh, I'm sure there'll be some folks trickle in over the next uh, next little bit, but we can go ahead and get started. I'll start us in prayer, uh, and then we'll get to the lesson. Father, uh, thank you for your church. Thank you for this church. Thank you for uh, the folks that are here today and the folks that will be listening later. I pray that um, the discussion that we have today would be glorifying to you. Uh, and edifying to those uh, that are here in attendance, uh, those that are listening later, be with, um, be with the preaching and the worship uh, in the next hour, that it would be glorifying to you as well. Uh, and we just pray that you would be with us in this time, that any words that I say that are not true or not reflective of your truths uh, would fall away um, and that the Spirit would open our eyes to what you have for us today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So well, this is the second to last week of the session of the class. Uh, so I'm not going to do a full review like we did earlier in the uh, in the year. Um, but so big picture over the course, and we'll spend the last week. All the teachers will, will come in for the last uh, session next week and kind of do a kind of overview of the course. Um, but our big kind of what we've gone through is we've defined our terms. What is sanctification? How is that distinct from justification and glorification? And then we've kind of set the context for what that looks like. What are our, you know, defining our terms a little bit more specifically. What is, um, who's doing the work? How is the work being done? And then we talked a little bit about, uh, I was here, I think four or five weeks ago, talking about fighting sin and what that looks like. Uh, and then the last few weeks have been really focused on what are the means of sanctification? Uh, so two weeks, Jeremy and Danny talked about the means of sanctification. So the setting, scripture, prayer, suffering, uh, and then what the church community and how the church uh, is incorporated into sanctification in terms of teaching, communion. They talked about uh, church discipline and so forth. And then last week, Sheldon's lesson, uh, which I really enjoyed. I, I wasn't able to be here, um, but listened to it this week uh, was really, um, really helpful to think about what are the blessings. So we spent a lot of a big chunk of this class talking about all the work and the killing of sin and the hard, difficult things and the theological terms. And so to, to spend a little bit of time resting in the blessings that are experienced secondary to sanctification was, uh, was really helpful. So what are some of those blessings? that y'all talked about last week? Well, my, the greatest blessing to me is to come to know him more intimately. Yeah. Um, just to be able to think as he thinks and, you know, and to understand what he would have me do in a certain situation. And all of that from the word of God, I'm not making it some kind of ethereal thing, but just. Sure. Over the years, I have come to see that truly I was born as a baby and have grown, grown to, to know maturity, him. like Paul teaches. Yeah. What else? For me, is peace and to peace. rest in Him. Yes. Be still and rest in Him. That's the best thing happened to me. Anything the storms comes, it won't shake me no more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I am in Him, and that's because awesome. I know He's in control. That that's the best blessing happened to me is. Everything goes by peacefully. Yeah, that's great. That that uh, imagery of this this ship in the storm mm -hmm. uh, is something that I'll get to at the end. Um, but it's a really beautiful picture of of part of our sanctification. I think also as we grow and come to see how he he processed the justification process, mm -hmm. he took care of the whole thing. Yeah, that when he tells us <clears throat> we've been set apart for sanctification we can bet we're going to be sanctified. Absolutely. And, and There's an assurance. Yeah. Assurance yeah. to that, yeah. And I want to lean into that specific blessing this week uh, more. And then y'all talked about God's glory. So giving God glory as a blessing, we get to, like children, like Father, like our Father, we get to give Him glory by being His children and representing Him well. Um, so it's great. So this one, this uh, lesson was a little bit kind of difficult. Uh, so we've, we've, we've kind of defined our terms 
And we're going through this book. Uh, I'm sure you all know the uh, Sanctification Transform, Transform Light by Campbell. So he goes from blessing. And then this chapter is, uh, is kind of like right before the summary of next week, right? Um, so here, he, the, the, the name of the chapter is Reality Check or Why Does It Matter? And it's difficult in the sense that we're going to be talking about like a self-examination of, okay, there's blessings. We've, we've talked about the work. We've talked about the blessings. And now it's almost like, let's, let's look in the mirror as Christians and see if this is happening. And if it's not, let's get a little worried kind of thing. Um, so aptly titled uh, Reality Check, uh, and the title that we put for the week is Why Does It Matter? And uh, so the book starts by talking about um, a Christian who does not exhibit any outward signs of sanctification. And they, he talks about a Christian who has private and public sins that, are, that they are unrepentant of, uh, they aren't seeking to honor God or give God glory in the things that they do, but they are professing faith. They're saying the right things about what they believe, but they aren't living that way. And it, it was his his example was kind of an extreme example, um, but that is some, that is part of the sanctification question that is messy. And we talk, we've talked several times over the course of, of, of this class where um, what is the, there, there's a mystery involved in the work that happens. Like this is God's work, but he's asked us to obey and do work as a means of the sanctification occurring. And so I just wanted to, I want to make sure that we kind of define our terms a little bit. So, um, so he starts with this professing Christian. They're professing Christian. They're coming to church on Sunday, um, but they're not living a life that is uh, in line with what God's will is for our life. And in that case, what does that mean in terms of their sanctification? And so the question that gets asked, which is the other title for, for this week is, why does it matter to them? Does it matter how we live? So does it matter how we live? A little bit of a trick question, but I want to just, does it matter how we live? Yes. Yes, it matters how we live, right? It, in a way it does. Why? Because God has told us a way to live. And because of our justification and because we are now indwelt with the Spirit, how we live matters to a point. So in a way, the answer is yes, but is a true believer, is the way we, is a true believer, uh, can, can we lose our justification? And the answer to that would be no. If you are truly a believer, how you live matters and you would want to live in a certain way and if you don't live in the way that God has for us, that will cause us to be under God's judgment and punishment and things like that. And we'll have trouble in this life, but it will not affect our status, our glorification status. And that's the messiness of, the, uh, of that question. Do we, will we see a true Christian that has been elected, justified, regenerated, saved, not over the course of their entire life live in a way that is in accordance with the will of God. Would we see that? Is that a thing? I'd say no. No. Because there may be a season of time in a life, mm -hmm. I mean, it could last for years, but when you talk about a whole life, the Bible tells us that no. No. Yeah. And I think that's right. I think so. We want to be sure to say that our uh, our sanctification is going to look different for everybody, is going to be messy, is going to have starts and stops, uh, but it is going to be occurring. And if it's not occurring at all, 
then there would be kind of this distinction between a, per, a person that professes faith and maybe, maybe that is not a, tr- a true, they're, they're not truly a Christian. And that's where it gets messy. And I wish there were some elders here that could kind of fence me a little bit. <laughs> but y'all just throw something at me if I say something that's that's heretical. But I think it's important for us to think about this because, you know, two weeks ago, Danny talked about that we don't do this in isolation. And so while we ourselves can have assurances, the assurances that Sheldon talked about last week, when we are interacting with others, we should be able to work with them if we're not see- if we're seeing that example of unrepentant sin over a long period of time without any repentance, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, is that the backslidden Christian? I, so I, I would put the backslidden Christian in the category of, of somebody that could for a time, um, fall away and fall into unrepentant sin, but they won't stay there. So, so our church doesn't preach that you can lose your true self, true salvation. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it's important for us to distinguish that the difference between a professing Christian and a true Christian, which is difficult because the true Christian part look. So, so I'm, I teach, uh, evidence-based medicine for my students and we're this week I'm preparing to teach on uh, deductive reasoning and inductive reasoning and correlation versus causation and all that stuff um, but the way I the way to think about it is all true Christians mm-hmm. are professing Christians but not all professing Christians are true Christians so you can profess and be baptized even and not actually have experienced election regeneration and so forth and so those somebody in that category we can see sanctification not occur in their life but somebody who is professing their belief and has had the inward work done so there's the outward profession but then there's the inward election, regeneration, that has occurred. The spirit is indwelling that person. We may see a time where they do not, they might fall into sin and for a time be unrepented, but they will not persist in that state because the spirit is in them and it would be impossible for that to occur. Thoughts on that? I'm sounding all right. I'm not going yeah, <laughs> to. I think with the spirit indwelling you, it would be impossible to be comfortable. Oh. Correct. Yep. Correct. Um, and so, yeah. Uh, so he gets into this this uh, example or uh, kind of a thought exercise, and, a, and I'm going to talk about it in a second, but it gets to the comfort thing. We would not be comfortable living in and reveling in unrepentant sin that would not be possible if the spirit was truly indwelling Mm -hmm. and once the spirit comes at at regeneration he doesn't leave it's a it's a done deal right versus you know there's so 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 that's that's kind of the backdrop that i want to make sure we get i'm not saying that a person or the scripture is not saying or the book is not saying that a person is perfect at with the spirit indwelling them that there's a perfection but I'm but I am saying that somebody that is in unrepentant sin and is not showing any signs of wanting to honor God and wanting to live in a way that is what is what God's will is for our lives that that they should that, that, that is a time for us as a church, if we see that, to enact church discipline that was talked about a few weeks ago, but also that we should be concerned about their the truthfulness of their salvation. It reminds me of David. Yeah. So I said he had, he had the heart of their God. Sure. He sinned, yeah. but as soon as he was over of it, he repented it immediately. Yes. Yeah, that's a great example mm-hmm. of somebody that sinned in a horrific way. Yeah. 
but repented of his sin. Sure, yeah. Um, so I wanted to make sure we laid that groundwork because we can't see into people's hearts. Um, but uh, script, Jesus talks about this in Matthew. In fact, let's read that. Uh, can someone read Matthew 7, 15 through 23? That would be the Sermon on the Mount. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Did you say to go on? Was that it? Um, to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Awesome. So what we see in Jesus' teaching here is, is two main things. Obviously, there's a lot in the Sermon on the Mount to unpack, but he first talks about fruit. And bad fruit coming from bad trees, talking about the false prophets, and that you will see them, you will know them by their fruit. And then he gets into 21 through 23, where he talks about entering the kingdom of heaven. And I want to just highlight that because I've got some scripture that I want us to read uh, that where Paul kind of pushes into this idea of entering the kingdom of heaven or being in the kingdom of heaven. Um but Jesus talks, his, at the, that last verse says, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So in this setting, he is identifying that they might have been doing things. They might have been um, casting out demons and doing mighty works, but they weren't doing the mighty works as his people. They were doing them on their own accord. Um, so I, it's, I think it's just when, we, when we're kind of talking about this professing Christian versus true Christian thing, we want to make sure that we're talking about the right cause and effect. This is not, I do God's will and he saves me. This is, the cause and effect is Jesus had, has his people and his people bear good fruit. And that's how we identify them as being his people. It's not a... I have to do these things to be part of God, the kingdom of God. It's I'm part of the kingdom of God because of what God has done in my justification. And now I am bearing good fruit and everyone can see or people can see to a greater or lesser extent that I am part of the kingdom because of the good fruit that I'm producing, the sanctification that's occurring. So I just want, I think that's an important distinction that we need to make. So um, Campbell goes on and he talks, he has a section called Miserable in Heaven. And he goes through this thought exercise. Uh, yeah, the, the people are like, what? Yeah. I, it, it's, it's actually a pretty, pretty interesting thought exercise. So what he does is he takes that Christian, that he, that professing Christian at the beginning of the chapter that he explains is in unrepentant public and private sin and is uh, not living a life that is in line with the scripture, uh, is not acknowledging what God's will is for that person. And he said, imagine if they were to be in heaven all of a sudden. And uh, this thought exercise goes on. He says, they're going to be in the presence of God the person that they're not putting first in their life. And they're going to be worshiping him and they're going to be surrounded by people that are 
work that are be working on sanctification and are being part of that. And he talks about um, they're going to be miserable because they're not going to be they're not going to be in the place where uh, they have been, which is putting themselves first and glorying in their own sin and not working on repentance. And he gives another example of he gave an example of classical music. And imagine if you uh, loathed classical music, but you were put in a room for two months and all you could do was listen to, class listen to classical music. You'd be miserable because that's not what you want. That's not your heart's desire. And in the same way, a professing Christian that has the right beliefs on paper, but doesn't live that way, is going to be miserable in the presence of the God who calls him or her to live in a way that glorifies him. Yes. I have experienced that one Christmas, I went to the Christian worship sure. things. I was sitting in the audience and they were worshiping the, all the people in the, the stage. I didn't want that. <laughs> I said, God, I don't want to be sitting here. I yeah. want to be in there worshiping you. Yeah. I'm not worshiping you here. I'm entertaining myself. Sure. I was so myself. I said, no, I don't I want to be there. And God gave me that uh, desire of my heart, even though I don't have a good voice or anything, but God <laughs> yeah, has oh, yeah. But in the next two, three nights that they had program, they let me, uh, I went there, they let me to go in there and worship. It's so totally different yeah. when you are worshiping with the worshipers. Yes. Then you are far away from God. It, it wasn't far away, but it was entertaining sitting yeah. there and Passive versus active, right? Yeah. yeah. And there's some traditions in the Christian church that are much more liturgical in terms of the congregation is part of the worship in a very real way. We cultivate that. That was the harmony that comes yeah. that yeah. And I said, so when he was in, I could say that yeah. difference. No, I didn't want to be sick there. Yeah. I want to be there. In, in there. In it. I'm worshiping, yeah. yeah. And that heart's desire is what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. The absence of that heart's desire is concerning when we talk about self-examination. But the presence of that deep desire to worship God is a is a sign is awesome? of it's a sign of the trueness of your of your faith. Yeah. Right. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Great Divorce. Uh -huh. I've ever heard of that book. It's it's about this uh, bus trip that goes up to heaven from people who are kind of like they think they want to go to heaven. When they get there, they aren't comfortable. Yeah. They don't sit there. And the, the thing that I remember most is they were kind of like shadows in heaven because mm -hmm. they didn't belong there. But the thing that they felt is they could feel the grass hurt their feet. And that's kind of an example of yeah. um, how they just didn't belong. And so when the bus went back, they all really wanted to get on the bus and go back. They were excited. To, yeah. go, to leave heaven because they just didn't fit. They didn't fit. So they thought they did. They, they verbalized they that they did. They yeah. thought, oh, I'll take this bus. I love Lewis. The grass hurt their feet. I love I that. That's like, so... They couldn't walk because it yeah. hurt their feet. That's awesome. Uh, so he finished, so, so Campbell finishes uh, this section saying, um, however orthodox their beliefs may be, God is not the center of their lives. Spending time with him, talking to him, singing his praise, doing his will and bringing him glory are not their delight. They do not love holiness and they do not hate sin. To be deprived of all possibility of ever indulging in sin has no attraction for them. So the idea that we would, we would long for the day when we would not have any attraction to sin ever. They have no attraction to that. Nor does the prospect of ever living with people for whom Jesus is all in all. Heaven for such would be no heaven at all. Um, hey. So, uh, he then talks about, so if, if this is the case, then logically as we follow this along, there, there are people that are going to profess a true orthodox belief, but not, but be absent from heaven. So the whole idea of not all professing Christians are true Christians, but all true Christians are professing Christians, that distinction. 
And so the final section in the chapter is on absent. It's called absent from heaven. And we've talked, I've got four verses or four scriptures that I want us to, I want to read them, I think. We've got time. Um, just because I want to kind of, they're all from Paul's writings. And I want to sort of tie in the themes that he's talking about and make sure that we're not missing. The first one I'll read. And then um, if someone wants to turn to 1 Corinthians 6, 8 through 10, but I'm going to read Romans 8, uh, 9 through 14, which uh, 13, Romans 8, 13 is sort of the central verse of uh, this week. Um, but I want to read the context because if you read just the verse, uh, it sounds cause and effect for life and death. But I want to read the context. So you who have, uh, this is verse 8, Romans 8, verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. There's a caveat here. You see the if clauses. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is in, taking up residence. This isn't a passing thing. This is an in thing. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. And then 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit are sons of God. So what he's talking about here is not just, if you read 13 out of context, you get, if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die, cause and effect. So if, even if you, sin, if you sin, if you have sin in your life, even if you're repentant, you're going to die. But by the Spirit, you will live. But the context is, first, if the Spirit dwells in you, there's a dwelling and there's a surety to that truth. And so the, the, the death that occurs is only for those that, are, that don't have the Spirit indwelling them. So there's, there's a dichotomy here, and, and Paul is separating that out. Um, and then 1 Corinthians, uh, well, so, uh, so uh, I read a, a commentary by Sproul that I think on this verse that I think is really helpful. And it gets to the self-examination thing that we'll talk about at the end. He says, we must ask ourselves whether we have any inclination to follow the Spirit's leading in obedience to Jesus. If we ask whether our hearts are fully, totally, and absolutely disposed towards following the Spirit into holiness, we have to say no, because we aren't fully, totally, and absolutely always 100% of the time have that disposition on this side of heaven. But if there is a sense in which our spirits are directed to the things of Christ, any at all, uh, it guarantees us that we are indwelt by the Spirit of God. And that's what you were talking about. That's what we talked about a few weeks ago where we identified that everyone's sanctification is going to look different. So we can't say we're perfect. Sproul is kind of taking this thing and saying, if there's none... If there's nothing there, you don't have any desire at all to, to follow Christ, then that's a big concern. That's a ditch. If you think you're being perfect at following him and you're totally 100% of the time not sinning and always holy, there's a ditch there. But there's something in the middle, right? There's something in the middle that says, there's something here. I want to be active in that worship and, I'm, and I, I want to not sin. I, I long for the day when sin is not a part of my inclinations, Amen. right? So that's, that's the middle road. That's what we're talking about. So we're not talking about the two extremes here. Um, does someone have 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 8 through 10? On the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud and that your brethren... Or do you not know that the unrighteous 
shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such is that the last mm-hmm. so, if you want to finish And that. such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. Amen. Amen. Mic drop, right? <laughs> Boom. So, so <coughs> notice the language. We're talking, we're going, he goes back to the Sermon on the Mount, the kingdom of God, and and he is identifying there these are identities. These are not I I you uh, have a, the sin of adultery. These are adulterers. I am in that sin and I identify with it and it's all of who I am. Right. And the separation from those two things. So it's he's not he's not naming sins. He's naming identities. Right. Right. Um, and then the last two we don't have to read, but Ephesians five and Galatians five both kind of get to this same point. And so it's important that we understand the context of what Paul is saying. In Romans, he says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Corinthians, and such were some of you, past tense. These are identities that are in the past tense that he listed out, but you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified and you were uh, the spirit of God is in you now. In Ephesians, it says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. There's a there's an, a new identity that's true. Before he talks about everyone who is sexually immoral and impure and covetous and has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ, let no one deceive you with empty words. Um, but he's identifying, you are not this. These are the ditches. These are the past tense things about you. But this is the truth of, of what you are now. Galatians 5, same thing. For freedom, uh, for freedom in Christ has, or Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. A, the, there's a ditch here. We want to stay out of this ditch. And we do that by calling back to our identity. So he talks uh, about the con- there's a context to these verses. This is not a do this and die. This is a... You were going to die, but the Spirit of God is in you. And as, if the Spirit of God is in you, then you don't, then you're, then hell is not an option anymore. Right. Um, so the cause and effect is not our actions result in, the cause and effect is if the Spirit of God dwells in you, then this is your new identity. And this is what your life should now look like going forward. Thoughts? That yes. goes to mind because I've become changed, you know. Uh, it reminds me of Jesus says, nobody make a new wine in the old sure. things. Otherwise, it would bust. Yes. He put the new wine in a new wine skin. Yep. And so when he sanctifies us, then we are new. And mm-hmm. he put the wine in us. This reminds me that when I just came to the cross and I was so excited. And, you know, first love, for first love. Sure. You never forget. Then I keep thinking that. Jesus working in the inside, showing on the outside. Yes. Oh, what a change in me. I ch- notice that change. Yeah. You notice it. And you realize it's not you doing it. Because we couldn't. No, I still yeah. we can. We never can do it. We yeah. never. Even though we have changed, we, we know it's His. And sure. it's His work. Even the Jesus, when He says, I can't do none of this thing. I do only what I see my Father do. I only say what... He give all the glory to the Father. We give all the glory to Jesus. Yes. We, without Him, we, I could, we would be lost. Yeah. We would be righteous in our own eyesight. We would, but we wasn't. And but through Him, so that reminds me. Gee, I knew is Him working in me, mm-hmm. and it was the, my the result of working in me. It was showing through my work. Yeah. Do not even do the little bitty lies. Don't little little sin, sin is sin, and realize me sin is sin. Yeah. Not we, we hate everything that God hates. It came through Him, not through me. So the I said glory to Him. Oh, what it changes me in me. 
because of him. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. So that, that the thought went through yeah. my No, I think mind. there's a twofold. So when we do a self-examination, this is the kind of the point of the, <clears throat> of the chapter is we, we identify fruit. We identify desire to continue in that work. And we identify that we are not the source of that work. Mm-hmm. That and that gives, like Sheldon talked about last week, we get to give glory to God mm-hmm. for all of that. Mm-hmm. Other thoughts. So the next section kind of talks about that self-examination, and that's something that we should, you know, in the business world, we should we should do to make sure that we're on the right track with all that. But so much more important, our, we should be doing a self-examination to make sure that we're seeing fruit. We're trying, we're working on identifying sources of sin that we might not be aware of, that we could be repentant of. Um, and so the, the two big reasons for, uh, for self-examination is to look for the evidences of the presence of the leading of the Spirit, which is kind of what you were talking about. The idea that we are uh, killing sin, we are, we are desiring to worship God and give Him glory uh, all the time, even if, that, even if we fall short, which we will, awful fall short, but that there is evidences of that presence. And uh, if there's not, is there a concern there? If there's not evidences that you can point to, is there a concern? Because you might be a baby Christian and you've professed faith. Are you concerned that you're not seeing? Like, are you, is the goal there? And you're concerned that you're not there. Um, That's kind of the first thing. And the second is to look for sins that might be present in our life or to look for ways in which we're not following God's will. Again, not perfectly, but with a trajectory towards uh, holiness. And Campbell's quote at the end of this is, obedience is what separates the genuine from the false. And so his kind of mic drop moment at the end of this is to paint this picture of this Christian who does not... glorify God, does not follow his will, is happy to uh, be in unrepentant sin, public mm-hmm. and private, and is okay with that, yeah. but professes the right things with their mouth. So they profess with their mouth, but their heart is far from me, right? Scripture, uh, Jesus says. And what he says is that that should be somebody that we would be concerned about. Externally, if there's someone in, in our in our community or in our church that um, feels that that is that way, we have the mechanism formally of church discipline, but informally of ministry and reconciliation. Um, but that church discipline process that that uh, was talked about a couple weeks ago, I think Danny mentioned talked about it. The process leads to an exclusion of that person and a marking of them as not a true believer. Mm-hmm. That's the ultimate. We, we plead with them to not get to that point. But if they are living in an unrepentant sin and are being ident- and, and have had people identify that and they are not willing to change, then we are we can we are in scripture we, we can call we can say that they're not truly believers. Right. Even if they can recite the Westminster Confession or the London Baptist <laughs> Confession of Faith, right? Or they can uh, teach a Sunday school class so they can do whatever if they have all the head knowledge but there's no outward flowing of that that would be a concern about their um, status whether they are actually regenerated mm-hmm. um, so the last section I have and I'm going fast this is like the first time everybody's <laughs> always like trying to catch up at the end so hopefully we can have some good um, conversation is I wanted to talk about uh, one of the things that um, I guess in the in the reformed uh, community we uh, affirm, which is perseverance of the saints, mm-hmm. the idea of perseverance, which kind of brings this all together. The whole idea that if you are truly elect, regenerated, that 
golden chain of redemption that is talked about in Romans, there's a, there's a glorification at the end of that, and it's a sure thing. So um, the mark of a true Christian is holiness, and it's going to look different for everybody, and everybody is going to be on a different trajectory, and there might be times where uh, there's a falling away or there's a, cap, there's a short-term time where they're uh, in sin, but there's a repentance that will occur there. Um, we're talking about a trajectory and we're not talking about the arrival. So we are, the definitions that we've spent the last 11 weeks talking about are that this is not a perfection. This is not sinless perfection. This is the process of sanctification and becoming holy. The language of that progressive sanctification versus definitive. We have a definitive sanctification that is true because the Spirit's indwelling us, but there's a progressive out, outflowing of that sanctification. And so we would affirm that Christians can fall for a time, true Christians can fall for a time and be in unrepentant sin, but they would not stay there. Um, and, you know, it's costly. This is a costly process. We have to give up things that we otherwise might want to continue in um, because... Uh, because of this. So I have a little bit of a longer quote from J.C. Ryle. Uh, his book, Holiness, has been really helpful for me to, as I prepare for the, for the lessons for this class. Uh, a little bit long, but I think it's really good. He has kind of a mic drop moment at the end as well. Um, so he says, and this is addressing um, Campbell's idea of this outward Christian. He uses the term outward Christian. Um, and he says, I grant freely that it costs little to be an outward Christian. A man has only got to attend a place of worship twice on Sunday. He was writing in 1877, so they were, they were sticklers about the twice on Sunday thing, right? Um, and to be tolerably moral during the week. And he has gone as far as about a thousand people around him that ever go in religion. All of this is cheap and easy work. It entails no self-sacrifice or self-denial but it does cost something to be a real christian according to the standard of the bible it will cost self-righteousness giving god the glory for the things that we do it costs us that it will cost us our sins even the ones that we are we like we might like we might have a, a an affinity to or we had an affinity to before christ it will cost us the love of ease it's going to be hard to do this work. It's not easy um, to do the work of sanctification. And it will cost us favor, the favor of the world. Mm. Bold indeed must be the man who would dare to say that we, keep, that we may keep our self-righteousness, our sins, our laziness, and our love of the world, and yet be saved. We can't do both. So we can either t toss that stuff off, um, but there is no middle ground when it comes to some of those things. It is a costly endeavor. Um, and then his mic drop is, a cheap Christianity without a cross will prove in the end a useless Christianity without a crown. Kind of interesting. Any thoughts? Reminds me very similar to... Um, Bonhoeffer when he talks about cheap grace and yeah. costly grace and very almost strikingly similar analogies but <clears throat> I think there's a lot there's so much truth in that and I think it's why we've been so careful in this class to set it up the way we have because you take it from the very beginning looking at the justification by which we are secured in that forensic justification we talk about this almost every class all the way up through um the fact that our sanctification is secured and that Christ is sovereign over our justification, so he'd be sovereign in our sanctification. Mm -hmm. But it all leads up to the point that it, this whole, I think the title of this is what, why this matters, right? Yeah. And the whole point is we play a role in this. Mm -hmm. You know, we are, are, with the power of the Spirit and the working of God and Christ and the Spirit through us, we are being sanctified sure. and we're putting to death those sins that separate us from God and in an imperfect state we're going to do it but 
I think it's just a striking quote that makes very clear the fact that it's a long, rocky, difficult, and arduous road to do yeah. this. And so there's a lot of truth in that, and it's set up with the right context that we may be secure, um, but it's still a long, rocky process sure. to do this. And, and I would add that God gives us the desire yes. to endure and go through that rocky yeah. process. Agreed. That the costliness is on one side, but that we are not only given the means of sanctification, <clears throat> but the desire for sanctification. Yeah. And the absence, early in the class we talked about, the absence of that desire would be of concern um, or the absence of conviction, those kinds of things that are inward. And so that's why the self-examination part is, I think, really important and why we have this here right before the end. Mm -hmm. As he, he sets us off, right? Finished at last is the next chapter, yes. This phrase keeps running around in my head this morning. Once saved, always saved. Where does that fit into all of this? So or is that just a, a myth or is no, that a truism? Uh, I would I would caveat that. And, and you know, I think we uh, credo-baptists have a little bit more difficulty with this because we tie profession of faith, baptism at the same time. And so we have a little bit of a a difficulty with that profession, professing Christian versus true Christian thing. Because we can only see the outside, but all that stuff's happening all at once. Um, You know, paedo-baptist faith, and y'all correct me because I'm not experts, but their 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 idea is of the covenant. So the baptism that occurs is not a is not a sign of salvation, at least right. in theologically you know prayer. It's not a sign of salvation, but it is a it is a sign that they are in the Christian community, and so we would call they would call even children Christians because they're in that Christian community. But they they would have a really clear distinction between. A, per, a person that's in the covenant that they call a Christian versus a Muslim or a Hindu or an atheist, right? There's that definition, but they, they would not say that that is a Christian from an election regeneration standpoint. And so the one saved always, and I, you know, I, I get this, that was my upbringing, independent fundamental Baptist church where everybody lost their salvation every few months. <laughs> had to walk the aisle and, you know, do that, um, to get ready for the rapture and, you know, all the things that were involved with that. But there was a fear kind of thing. But the one saved always saved. In a sense, that's true. In a sense, uh, if you are elected and regenerated and justified, which we can't tell for sure, hundred. I mean, when we're looking at other people, that is not a reversible process. Right. So once regenerated, always regenerated. But once professing, it does, just because you profess with your mouth, that doesn't make you automatically saved, and that doesn't make that salvation last forever. So the 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 sure part is what God does behind the scenes. And that's what we would affirm. So we kind of always want to be praying and conscious of, Lord, please let me convict me of sins sure. that I may be committing and not really aware of. Let yes. Me, let me know about them so that. Yeah. And I would say, I would say yes. And I would say that the spirit gives you that desire and that conviction. Mm-hmm. So it's not, you're not like mustering up this. If you didn't have the spirit, there'd be no way you'd be sure. wanting those convictions. Yeah. yeah. And, Psalm 19 is really good. Yeah, Come last week, yes. Oh yeah, yep. come with my unseen uh, sin and prevent me from perception of sin. Psalm 19, I love the whole psalm. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a wonderful yeah. one. Yeah, Sheldon read that last week. Yeah, so we would say, uh, I lost my train of thought, but that that's kind of the idea is the conviction that is occurring is something that comes from the spirit being indwelled. Mm-hmm. And somebody that doesn't have the spirit may live a very moral life right. and may even outlive or outmoral <laughs> us. That's right. But 
the point the that where is where what is the source of that moral living and what is the motivation for the moral living and we would say the motivation is ultimately rooted in self-righteousness in the the, yeah. the promoting of self and not the promoting of of god's glory that we talked about before yeah you know when you love one saved you are saved I think if you give your heart with love to God, it's the love that saves you. Sure. So, and then I look at that, I learn the love of God through my son. I love, my, I have one son, and I love him so much. Jesus loved the Father and gave his life for the Father to take us to the Father, because yes. Father loved us. So he did that for the Father, and because he knew Father loved us. I love my son. So, I'm ready to go on a cross as Jesus was ready to go on a cross. But on my love, it's not like Jesus' love. Mm -hmm. He really suffered. I don't have to suffer because I suffer through his strength. He strengthened me. Jesus yeah. strengthened me to go through it. I don't go through it by myself. Jesus went through it by himself. Sure. I don't go by myself. Yeah. He is with me. To go through that cross, he said, "You follow me, you cry your, uh, try your cross." Mm. And so I learned. I said, "Okay, if this is my cross, God give me the strength, sure. strengthen me." And He does strengthen us. He teaches us His Holy Spirit, uh, and His Spirit is really His word. I keep thinking, "I'm yoke." He said, "Peter, my yoke is easy." Mm -hmm. I said, "I'm yoke to Him." Yes. I can take even my son with me, his friends with me. He is so strong. We are, I'm yoked to him. Mm -hmm. It's not me taking it. Yeah. It's him carrying us. And he teach me, he prepare us how to get on your knee, how to pray, how to, even not short, but just one more Holy Spirit for the in our heart to say it. Yeah. We'll say it and we'll come. Is it's that that's how we grow in him. And that's why, you know, he is in there, and that's why we always give him the glory because we know it's not us. We, yeah. we are humble always because we know who takes us. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And those are all evidences of the truth of what's happened in our hearts mm -hmm. without our knowing. So, you, I mean, so I'm a, I'm a pharmacist. I teach uh, in a pharmacy school. And when, I, when we give patients a blood pressure medication, I am not microscopically looking to see that that blood pressure medication is binding to the specific, but what am I looking at? The evidence is, is the blood pressure is lowering or whatever, you know, that's just my example. <laughs> but there's evidences, right? <coughs> well, there's, I think it's important for us to see the evidences of the truth because we can't, we can't see the true, the true truth, right? We can't, we can't see that our heart has been regenerated directly look at that but there there are evidences that make it really hard for us to say there's no other reason why i would be so excited about going to church on sunday and worshiping and why would i be so excited and passionate about talking about the cross that doesn't make any sense other than that the spirit's dwelling in me mm -hmm. yeah that's what i said that song my first love but that's the first thing he put in my heart when i received him jesus working on the inside yeah. And Showing on the outside. outside. Yeah. Oh, what a change in me. Amen. I knew that was change coming through him. Yeah. Amen. And I said from the heart, because I experienced it, you know, when you experience that change, it's so it's, awesome. Yeah, there's an experience. That it's so awesome, awesome, Jesus. Yeah. Jesus is awesome. Father sure. is awesome. It's the Holy Spirit. You see the tree in one. Yeah. Amen. There is a scripture, though, that tells us. His spirit will bear witness with our spirit mm -hmm. that we're a child of God. Amen. That's the scripture that brought me to know for 23 years. Yeah. You have professed, but you did not possess. That's where I was. Simple, but you're right. Yeah. When I, I went back to a high school reunion and I shared with the class um, how I had been brought to salvation and I said I'm not the girl you used to know mm. and a couple of them came up afterwards and said Erlene we would think so you still act the same you still seem to be the same sweet person they call me um, <laughs> that you were and I said yeah 
but there's a difference. I've been born again. I'm a new person. I am not the old person. And it didn't matter how sweet I was. It was all about me, yeah. my, and mine. Yeah. And now it's all about Amen. Amen. And, it's, Amen. and he's caused the motivation even. I didn't have to, yeah. you know, drum that up. And it's just all about him, and, and he's worthy. And, you know, John, you you answered that question so beautifully. And the, the whole point that when you said that, Gail, it made me think of um, D.A. Carson. So we, we've shared this example in other venues at the church. But I think that's, again, why we've been so careful to set this class up because it truly matters and, and we participate in our sanctification by doing these things but you could get very lost in assurance at that point if you think it's all up to your own devices yeah. and that you're pulling up your own I think I use the analogy religious socks one Sunday but you know D.A. Carson gave the example of two Jews um, with uh, very Jewish names, what Brown and John or something like that, I think he said. And they were painting the doorpost around Passover. And then they were talking afterwards and they were like, uh, you know, um, so are you ready for tonight? And are you are you ready for the, the Passover? Or have you got the door painted? And he's like, I am, but I'm just so nervous and I'm just, I'm anxious about this and I don't know if this is going to work. He said, well, did you paint the doorpost? Did you, you know, kill the lamb and paint it over? Well, yes, but aren't you a bit nervous? And he said, no, I'm not. You know, I, I know this. And the other guy was like, I'm just so frightened about this. And well, the next day, both of them were spared and their families were spared. And his mic drop moment, since you've used that so many times, is he said, it's the not the intensity of our faith, but the object of our faith that saves us. They overcome him on the ground of the blood of the Lamb. And I think that is the backdrop for everything that when we think about sanctification is that if you can say that, and if you can believe in that, and then it's going to be the Spirit prompting us for those sins, and yeah. it's going to be everything else. But it, the the baseline heartbeat thread of this entire class is that it's the object of our faith that saves us, and we are secure in that. Now, to once saved, always saved, there's probably two examples that I could say that, you know, to caveat as well, in addition yeah. to your beautiful explanation, was one, if you outright rejection of Christ as your Savior, I think that probably goes without saying. Even if somebody had once said that, if they outwardly reject it, then yeah. I don't necessarily believe they're in the covenant. That's my sure. personal opinion. I think Would that... You? Oh, God, sorry. You... And then, well, the second one was like someone living in complete... Yeah, you brought the point up. Unrepentant sin that is um, that fails to and outwardly says that they don't need to repent of that particular sin. Sure. Even after... Even after being convicted, even after being prompted by the Spirit at that point, and they still are refusing to repent from a particular sin. But I just think one is ex. It it kind of depends on your lens you're looking through. That when you say that once saved, always saved. I think there's an um, a view where we're looking at other people and trying to judge, um, more of an external perspective versus and and we can't discern that and mm -hmm. so the evidence part and the love of christ like we can't yeah. we can't discern them that these are the evidences but we're not sure we're not sure if if it's true we yeah. can't detect the true truth sure. <laughs> um but for like if you're looking internally essentially uh once saved always saved with the perspective of it's the blood of christ that saves us not our actions or our active participation in sanctification morality and all of that um then i don't that it is true it is true once saved always saved the justification but yeah, yeah i don't know i think that the, i think the term helpful. saved is is that yes like, like, yes yeah. it's so, not uh, specific enough it's not specific it's enough. not as yes. specific mm -hmm. enough, yeah. yeah um well we're about out of time i'm glad we had some good discussion. <laughs> I just wanted to finish with uh, 1689, our, the confession of faith that we that we hold at our church. Uh, chapter 17 is on perseverance of the saints, and I just love this as a so we don't get caught up in the am I saved or not, and am I you know. Um, so it says those God who those God has accepted in the beloved, effectually called and sanctified by His Spirit. And given the precious faith of his elect, can neither totally nor finally fall from a state of grace. Mm -hmm. 
They will certainly persevere in grace to the end and be eternally saved because the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. Therefore, he still brings about and nourishes them in faith, repentance, love, joy, hope, and all the graces of the Spirit that lead to immortality. Even though many storms and floods arise and beat against them, yet these things will never be able to move the elect from the foundation and rock to which they are anchored by faith. The felt sight of the light and love of God may be clouded and obscured from them from time to time through their unbelief in the temptations of Satan, yet God is still the same. They will certainly be kept by the power of God for salvation, where they will enjoy their purchased possession. For they are engraved on the palms of his hands, and the names have been written in the book of life from all eternity. That's awesome. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. It, ta- it hits all the points. It talks about our sanctification. It talks about how, I love this language. It's a, a, like a more a English version or modern English version, but it talks about how God um, nourishes us in faith that that the spirit is leading us by nourishing us in all the things that we've talked about um so that was it we're a few minutes over but i'm going to pray for us and we can go on down to worship father thank you for these amazing truths thank you for again this church where we get to talk and chew on these truths and um We pray that you would help us uh, in our sanctification day by day, that you would give us uh, eyes to see sin uh, that is in our hearts um, and give us the repentance that we need. Um, And we just pray that you would help us to give you glory in all that we do. Big things and little things and everything in between. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.